I had my Sunday. This is how my Sunday went. I'm, I'm leaving here, and uh, Jonathan Bowinski, I have to embarrass him for a second. He kind of gave me permission to do this. He came up to me after service, and he's talking to me, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just like shaking my head. And in mid-sentence, like he hasn't finished his sentence yet, so put yourself in my shoes. He hasn't finished his sentence yet, and all of a sudden he breaks into this like orange justice thing is what he called it. Like, I don't, anybody here know how to do the orange justice from Fortnite? I look like an idiot, but he was, it's something like that. And, okay, so that was how my, my day ended here at church. And then I go home, and we wanted to play a family game. Uh, and so my boys pick Uno, and uh, I'm rather competitive. I don't care if they're five years old. I don't care what age they are. As long as I, I will destroy them. And, and my point is this, that when they become older, they'll feel good about beating dad, you know? Like, so I'm actually doing it for their good. So I destroy them every single time. So in this go around, Landon's getting crushed, and he goes to Brady. He's like, let's team up together. And I let them cheat because then Landon started telling Brady every single card and color that he had. And Brady ended up winning. He threw down a blue A and he won. And what they did next blew my mind. What they did next was they jumped up and simultaneously started doing the hype. <laughs> and then the transition was incredible. They went from the hype to the flossy thing that they do. Like, in my face, all I could envision is farting on their pillows because I hate losing, and they're flossing in my face. Now, that's all from a game called Fortnite, and so I'm talking, I'm talking to Jordan, our new youth guy, who's like having like another child in the house, and, uh, and so I'm talking to him. Did you know that there's this dude named The Ninja who's really good at this video game Fortnite? Now, some of y'all have never heard of Fortnite. Some of you are like, this ninja dude? Well, yeah, before you start judging, here's the net worth of The Ninja. He's worth $3.5 million from playing a stupid video game. <laughs> Let that sink in. There's a, there's a, uh, a platform where people can watch him play the game. They're not playing the game. They're watching him play the game on this one platform. He is now this year making $500,000 a month. Let that sink in. So your kids do have hope when they're playing video games. I don't know much about video games outside of Madden. Play me in Madden, I'll crush you. But... What I do know is that anybody that pauses a video game is annoying. If you're a gamer in the room, you know that if you're playing somebody and they keep pausing the game, they are an annoying person. They don't know it, but they are an annoying person. And when we pause at any point in life, anybody that you're talking to, anybody that you're interacting with, if they are the type of person that just keeps pausing, 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 that's annoying. In my field, in my line of work, pausing is when I, quote unquote, let my hair down. When, when, I, when there are people that, uh, some of you might even be in this room, where you're like, Jason, come hang out with us. We're cool. You can let your hair down. Like, you don't have to be Pastor Jason. Or, or for me, it used to be when I used to hang out with my brothers or something, I could, I could let my hair down. And when I would go hang out with my brothers, the old me would start thinking, I've been really good for two months. I can afford to go and let my hair down and be a little rougher around the edges. And when I stopped, the mature Jason, 
when the mature Jason stopped and thought about that for a second, what I'm really saying is, Jason, you've been, you've been good for two months. You've earned the right to be bad. It doesn't compute, right? <laughs> for me, I, I don't want to have to be live in an area where I can let my hair down because when I die, you know what I hope is said of me? I hope somebody over here is saying, well, Jason acted this way. And I hope there's not a disconnect with somebody over on this side of me. I hope at my funeral that people speak of my character and it was consistent in all areas of life. I hope that I, that is, is spoken of me is consistency. When I let my hair down, I, I'm trying to be like, yeah, so you know what? I'm going to be a little rougher around the edges when I preach. I said farting on a pillow. Like, I can tell you I'm trying to be as consistent as I can across the board because that's the problem in our modern-day Christianity. Throw up that word, compartmentalize. This is, this is a word. Divide into sections or categories. I Googled it for you. That's what it means. And we all have a tendency to do this with our faith, to compartmentalize our faith, to say, this is my faith when I'm around the church people. This is my faith when I'm around, or, or my faith is only good at church, but when I'm around the work people, when I'm around my Insta group, when I'm around this, like we start to divide our faith into different areas, and then there's some pockets of our lives that are absent faith because we compartmentalize. What does it mean to pause faith? How is that even possible? Do you pause your life? Is that possible? But we try doing that with our faith. We, we pause our faith when, when we've been good for two months and now I'm allowed to sin. We pause our faith when this person knows I'm, I'm thankful for them, so it's okay to gossip a little bit about them. We pause our faith when I have all the reasons where God has blessed me and, and, and yet I find myself pausing my faith when I grumble and complain against the blessing. I, I pause my faith with multiple Insta accounts because I don't want certain pockets of friends <laughs> seeing what I'm posting. We pause our faith. We pause our faith. One of our values is an all-inclusive gospel message. The gospel is for everyone. We can't think of a sin Jesus didn't die for, can you? And so we as Christians, we will pause our faith when we say every sin. Jesus died for all. He's, he, I want to speak gospel. I want to speak love into this person, this person, this person. But this sin, this habit, that's where I draw the line. Pause. If we take this seriously, then we speak Jesus into every avenue, every person. It doesn't matter. We want every person to know the name of Jesus. I don't care what your hurt, hang-up, or habit is. You need to know Jesus because we are all dirty, rotten sinners, and we have that in common, and we all need Jesus. We don't pause our faith by choosing who gets to know about Jesus and who doesn't. And so I think Paul speaks into this. We're, gonna we're not picking up, per se. We're we're jumping around a little bit, but we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So either pull it up on your phone in the U version or on our app. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It starts like this. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is written 
This, this, Paul is writing, the Thessalonians, they knew persecution. They knew hardship. They knew what it was like to have Jewish friends attacking them. They knew what it was like to have Gentiles, Roman people, attacking them for their faith. They were like, I said yes to Jesus, and now I'm getting hate from all sorts of places. And Paul has the tenacity towards the end of this book to say, make sure you don't repay evil with evil, but always do what? Always seek to do Good. Because there is a habit when we want to pause our faith. Sometimes that pause comes in the midst of hardship. God, I said yes to you, and, and, and I've heard other speakers say that my life's supposed to become real easy. That where's the money? Where's the car? But this got hard. What? Pause. 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 There is never an excuse to sin even in the midst of hardship. And no matter how life, how hard life is, there's not an excuse to sin. I was wrongfully fired from my job, and so it's okay to steal a mug and a book on my way out. <laughs> no. There is never an excuse, to ma no matter how hard it might be. That's what it is to pause. To be, to be vengeful, to, to say, well, well, you did something to me. Oh, so now you've earned this. I am going, uh, I want control, pause. I want control so when there's evil, I don't trust God enough to let God work things out. I'm going to take control. Pause. Instead of going to the other part and saying, God, I'm going to choose to be patient instead of impatient and let you be in the business of payback. I'll just continue doing that second part. Do good. Do good. It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like Paul. Do you understand what you're saying? Paul, do you understand? Okay, I can get behind. Don't repay evil with evil. But you took it to another level. Like, I'm good with if you punch me, I'll turn the other cheek, maybe. I might think something bad about you, but I'll turn the other cheek. All right. But, but Paul, you're saying, not only am I not to repay evil with evil, but here's what is supposed to always be a part of my faith. Do good. Look for opportunities to do good to the person that just wronged me or fired me or, or, or to hold up my yes. Because there's never an excuse to sin, no matter how hard it might be. My parents were divorced for 10 years. The 90s for the Coash home was tough. And I don't know all of the details of their divorce. But I know if during that moment, if during that season of life, if you talk to either one of them, they likely could have painted the other person as a monster. They likely could have, have pinned us kids against another kid. They could, have, they could have, mommy could have gone to the kids and pinned us against daddy, or daddy could have gone to the kids and pinned us against mommy. Guess what? During the 90s, I never had a terrible image of either parent because they didn't choose in hardship to sin. Because you know what sin is? Gossip. Gossip is sin. Can you throw up the definition of gossip? I googled it for you. Casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people. Typically, but not always, involving details that are not conformed as, uh, confirmed as being true. So you can gossip by definition by sharing truth. Have you ever thought about that? If it's not your business to speak what is about to come out your mouth, it is gossip. 
Gossip can be, I'm declaring something truth, but it's not my business to tell it. My mom could have spoken truth into my life, gossip about my dad to pin me against my dad, and then vice versa. But in hardship, they didn't choose to gossip to the kids. And then 10 years later, when God worked a miracle, and they decided to get remarried, the fact that they honored God through hardship made it a whole lot easier for us as kids to look at mommy and look at daddy and say, it's good for you guys to be together. There's never an excuse to sin. Do we take that always seriously? Choosing not to respond, but choosing to look for genuine acts of love. Isn't that what it means to to love our enemies? (laughs) He goes on, and if you guys, I'm going to help you guys memorize scripture today, okay? So here's the next verse. Rejoice always. Can you say that to the person next to you? Rejoice always. Rejoice always. All right, now say if you can you say that with your eyes closed? Rejoice always. You guys just memorize scripture. Like, yay. Like more than so many Americans in the world today. Yay for us. We just meant rejoice always. Now, now again, like rejoice is, is kind of a churchy word, but we're coming to Christmas. We're gonna rejoice, rejoice. We're gonna sing it. We're gonna sing it. Or I mean, is that or is that Easter? When do that when do that? Whatever, we're going to sing it at some point. But, but here's what I know, you're not, tomorrow, you're not going to walk into work and be like, rejoice, I found my missing receipt. Like, that's not a typical, okay, so here, again, I Googled it for you. You're welcome. Here's the definition of rejoice. It's a verb. <laughs> to feel or show great joy or delight. To feel or to show great joy. We pause our faith. When we don't rejoice always. Rejoice always is, is deep, deep joy. The, in the context of hardship, this, this is counterintuitive, isn't it? My life is hard, and you're and Paul, you have the tenacity to write a command that says rejoice always in the midst of hardship. Paul, like you understand what I'm going through. Do you understand what they went through? That you and I can look at our lives. And still find reasons for joy. Why? Because I think joy comes from the Lord. I think joy is connected to being in Christ. I think joy is, is, is that when we are able to look at what we have in Jesus Christ, that if Jesus is the ultimate source of joy, and if Jesus is eternal, don't you and I as Christians always have then a source of joy? So that no matter the hardship, even with with difficulties, we can find joy. Because sometimes as Christians, we are so good at pausing our faith when we decide that I I want to be more concerned about getting around hardship, avoiding hardship, than, than glorifying God. We, we, look at, we look at that as more important. Like, this hardship is in front of me. I know that if I walk through this with Jesus, I have an opportunity to glorify him through hardship. But instead, I want to avoid God. I want to cheat the system. I want to take life my own way. I want to skirt around hardship. And who does not receive glory in that? God. But then when we choose hardship, when we choose joy in the midst of hardship, you know who gets glory for that? Jesus. And so there is a joyous person that I know. Christina, come on up here. Uh, I've had the opportunity of getting to know Christina uh, in my starting point. Uh, Fun fact about Christina. 
Uh, my kids met her. I got invited. I'm so cool. I got invited to a four-square tournament. Any of y'all got invited to a four-square tournament? I did. And uh, Christina was there, but she was a little too cool to play four-square. And uh, so I brought my boys, and they had just purchased that game Pie Face, Pie in the Face. And they're like, Christina, nice to meet you. Want to play Pie Face with us? And she said yes. <laughs> and five minutes later, she had pie in her face because she had said yes. So knowing Christina's story a little bit, uh, there was a season in your life, a, a long season in your life, that joy was not part of your life. So tell these fine people what that season was and how it killed your joy. Yeah, so um, I grew up in like a beautiful Christian home where my parents, they, they taught us how to love Jesus. Um, but to make a really long story short, um, when I was in about the fifth grade, we started a new church, and that church turned out to be a cult. Um, throughout the four and a half years that I was there, I was brainwashed, controlled, and like reprimanded almost weekly. Um, at such a young age, I saw God now as an angry God who didn't hear my prayers, who uh, my repentance was never good enough for, they had brainwashed me that my loving childhood home was actually an, ab an abusive home. And they brainwashed me, and this was quote unquote from that leader that um, I would, if I left the church, I would be nothing but a whore who was depressed and suicidal, and that if I left, I would never go to heaven. When I was about, um, 16, my parents, thankfully, they realized what we were in and they pulled us out, but you could, yeah, that, you could say that's what killed my joy. My world was turned upside down for a while. So then, tell us more about that. So what led to that shift? What led to a shift out of, like, killing joy to now finding joy? Yeah, so um, the process of leaving a cult is really hard, but the process of healing from a cult is even harder and longer and has been even harder and longer. And um, the first, like, four years after, I was so angry at God. I hated God. I didn't think that there could be a God. I hated Christians. Um, I had started finding love in all the wrong ways and all the wrong places. And one day, I had just completely hit rock bottom. And it was at rock bottom that I had just felt like a tugging on my heart to pray and to listen to my old favorite worship music and really slowly that tugging brought me back to church. But it was one day in specific that I remember that God has just had just opened my eyes and said, it was not me that hurt you, it was people. It was not God that hurt me, it was people. And ever since then, ever since that day, like every everything changed. The anger was almost broken and I, that's where my focus shifted. I was able to see God as a loving God, not as an angry God, and as a savior. Like, he's the one that took me out of the cult. And, um, yeah. So then you're, kind of, you're, you're starting. So my next question is, you strike me as a joyous person. Like, you, you talk to you, and, and, like, there's a smile. And you can't help, as we talk with you, to, to have a smile. You, you people walk in here. They're greeted by you. There, there's a smile. So how are you now finding joy? Yeah, well, I'm like you said, I find joy in almost everything now. I mean, I look at my 
beautiful family and just see how blessed we are and how much God has done in our lives since we left that church. And I find joy in that. I find joy in the people that he had placed in my life since I got out that have just helped me become the woman that I, that I am today. And I get to say now that after a really long time, I find joy in going to church, but especially like when I get to serve in Well Kids or at Well Youth because I get to see Jesus through these little children and like see the love that they have for Jesus and it's so pure and innocent and that's something that was taken away from me. Uh, I mean, I find joy in everything, but I guess like I find joy in God's grace the grace that he had on my family to take us out while so many were still left in. I didn't ask you this question ahead of time, so, but I know the answer is. When you were in the midst of that cult, did you feel like joy was possible? No. All right, and now you have joy. So there is people sitting among us right now that are in the midst of hardship. They don't feel like joy is possible. Praise God for you that are, you are a living example to them that joy is possible in Christ Jesus. So thank you for sharing your story. Colossians uh, 3, 1 through 3 will be on the screen. It says this, If then uh, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on earth. For you, uh, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So when we are going through hardship, our, our rejoice always is not a command to focus on circumstances because circumstances go up and down, in and out. Our command is to shift our focus to the things above, which is consistent, God is consistent. He is our eternal truth. And so sometimes what is killing our joy is to place our focus on the circumstance rather than the God, rather than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So when we want to rejoice always, here's what we need to do. Shift our focus to the things above Jesus Christ. And so Paul then goes on to the next command. This one's three words. It's a little harder to memorize. Three words, but this will help us shift our focus. The next command is pray without ceasing. If you can say rejoice always, pray without ceasing, you have memorized two verses today. Well done. Because a joyful believer is a prayerful believer. A joyful believer is a prayerful believer. This is a command. This isn't like if I feel like it. But here's where we get hung up. Sometimes we get hung up because we feel like, well, in church, I was taught as a kid that praying is when I go on my knees, fold my hands, my eyes are closed, and this is how I pray. And there is, that is a form of praying. That is a form of reverence. And there are times where I kneel at my bed and I do pray like that. But if I'm supposed to pray always without ceasing... I ain't leaving this room if that's how I'm always supposed to be praying. Prayer in this regard is that attitude that says, God, I'm going to bring everything to you as it comes. God, before I act, I'm going to pray. God, before I make a move, prayer is my move. God, I'm going to you and I'm committing it to you because when I pray, here's what I do. I realize the presence of God the presence of God which is ever needed in the midst of every single hardship. So with that understanding, why does then prayer become overwhelming? 
Is it overwhelming because we feel like we have to do all the talking? Have you ever talked with somebody where they're doing all of the talking? Aren't they an overwhelming person? If you're not a highly talkative person, a person that is always talking is a little overwhelming. So the thought of having to pray and always be talking is overwhelming. What I think is neglected when we think about praying, always praying without ceasing is this, the listening side of prayer. That was a conviction early, uh, a few months ago. And so I, like you, am on a journey to become more like Jesus. And so I, I was like, Jason, you're so good at talking to God. You're so good at instructing God. And you're terrible at pausing to listen. Pause of faith. And so I sat down with the Drews. You guys know we have some life group leaders that are a little older in life and have a lot of great experience. You all should join their life group. And so I sat down with the Druze because I said to them, I have something to learn from you. You're, I, your pastor, have something to learn from you. I need to learn more how to listen, how to listen in prayer. And what they said to me is this is a habit. This is a habit where I wake up every morning. I'm praying, I'm reading, but I'm pausing. I'm pausing to say, God, you speak. God, through your word, you speak. God, speak, speak, speak. And when I feel like God is saying something, tugging at me, I then ask, Jason, I send you emails often that have little quotes or little scripture. I'm sending them to you because I pause and I feel like God's saying, you know, just send Jason this piece of scripture. And you know what? Usually it's at a moment where I really need to hear that piece of scripture. So sometimes this, this act of praying without ceasing is choosing to pause and just be quiet and still and say, God, what would you have me do as I clear my mind and let you fill it? Would pausing our faith stop if we pause to pray? When you're tempted to pause your faith, would pausing your pausing and listening to God, would that, how would that protect you? And so he concludes this section of commands with, with the glass half full as Christians. He says this, Give thanks in all circumstances. In the midst of hostility, that's a really hard command. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Meaning that our prayers, our prayers are not meant to be grumbling sessions. Our prayers are not to be, God, here's the list of everything that sucks in my life. What you doing? But... Our prayers should have an element of gratitude to give thanks, to find things to be thankful for. What is prayer without gratitude? What is a, what, can, can we, like, how can we fathom an unthankful Christian? Is, is that even, can we say that? Is that possible? Is it possible for someone to, to rationalize the love of Jesus on the cross, his death, his resurrection? Is it possible for somebody to truly realize that? And yet never be a thankful person. Is that possible? We must see that as an abnormal thing. Because here's what makes us different than the world. The world is chasing happiness. The world is chasing, chasing, chasing. What's going to make me happy? And you know what? Every pursuit for happiness that doesn't end in Jesus ends in a dead end. It ends with you being frustrated. But for the Christian, we are different because our pursuit of happiness begins and ends with Jesus. We as Christians, we have found it. And so let the world grumble and complain. And may their grumbling and complaining lead them to Jesus. We don't need to grumble and complain because we have 
Jesus. We do not lack. And so we can have a glass half full approach to life because we have Jesus. And it's possible even in the midst of all circumstances. I asked my wife permission to share this. Her, her childhood had portions of hardship. She had a stepfather that acted inappropriately. And great sin was committed against her. And I don't look back on that situation, and I don't, knowing my wife, I don't give thanks for the wrong and the atrocious things acted against her as a young child. But here's what I can look back and give thanks for. I can look back and say, God, thank you that you grew in her a desire to lead. And that led her to liberty. Lord, thank you that she was a poor college student that needed a job. And that led her to American Eagle. God, thank you for leading her to American Eagle where she had the greatest boss in the world that she just couldn't help but to marry. I, uh, I'm not God for her, and that would be dangerous. But I now am thankful that I get to spend every day showing her what a godly man should be, loving her the way a godly man should love. Am I perfect? Heck no. She'll tell you every way in which I fail. She can say the last 24 hours, eh, he sucked at, eh. <laughs> but I'm trying. And so I don't look back on the evil. I don't find thanks in the evil, but I find thanks in how God is able to bring good out of evil. Amen. Because isn't that the cross? Wasn't the cross evil? Didn't evil men put Jesus on the cross? And we would look at that as hopeless. We would look at that as, what's the point? They did. They ran. But God said, God said, it was my will to crush Jesus for you. It was God's will to crush Jesus. Because God, God didn't see the cross as the ending point. God and you and I can give thanks for the cross. Why? Because three days later, he don't stay dead. Three days later, he rises in glory. And so now we can look back at evil and give thanks. You and I can look back at evil and give thanks. We can look at the evil in Christina's life and not thank God for the evil, but thank God for what he did through that evil, where he brought her. And now we have somebody that's vibrant, loving our, our youth, loving our children. I'm thankful that God brought her here. I'm thankful that, that God brought Ava to me. And so we can look at an evil situation and say, thank you, God. Go back to that verse again for me. I'm sorry, I should have told you guys this ahead of time. This, right here. I shouldn't tap the screen. That right there, that this is singular. So all of these commands, all of these commands act in one singular purpose. This is written in the Greek in the singular why is that important? Because all of these commands lead us to one point. Do the will of God. Seek the will of God. This is all part of the singular purpose of the will of God. Stop pausing your life. Stop pausing your faith. This is the will of God. Seek your life. A Christian looking to compartmentalize their faith is maybe perhaps not a Christian because they haven't understood the love of Jesus Christ. You and I, if we want our will above the will of God, what does that say about our faith? And so Christina asked me this week, did you buy this? All right, here's this for you. I have one extra copy. 
Christina asked me this week, I want to follow the will of God. And so I, I told her about this workbook called Experiencing God by Henry and Richard Blackaby. I have one more copy for anybody that would want it afterwards because we together as a church must seek the face of Jesus Christ and let that dictate everything about our lives. And so let me read this passage one more time. Please, please go to the passage as, as a whole. I haven't memorized. I've memorized portions of Rejoice Always. <laughs> See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always... Always, no pause, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, no pause. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, no pause. Give thanks in all, no pause, circumstances. For this singular is what? The will of God in Christ Jesus. Our faith, faith, what I want you to leave here with, faith does not have a pause button. You and I are not caused to pause our lives. You and I are not called to go back to that old life. If we want to repay evil with evil, that's the old life. But you know what that old life is considered in Christ Jesus? Dead. Why would we go back to something that is dead? If we are trying to pause, we are trying to resurrect what is meant to be dead. Jesus Christ rose from the grave to give you life, a life that is not meant to be paused. We don't turn Christianity on and off. We're not trying to figure out how to turn Christianity on and off. What we're trying to figure out is how does faith play into all areas of our life. This week, I, your pastor, also was tempted to pause my faith numerous times. You know, like kids have this unique way when life is stressful to kind of push buttons. <laughs> they know. Somehow they just know. <laughs> Tuesday morning, I woke up super stressed for whatever reason, a bunch of little things adding up. And I asked my kids to put their shoes on and brush their teeth. <laughs> And life ended. <laughs> they thought that was the worst thing in the world. Brady never wanted to wear jeans again. He thought jeans were the worst thing in the world. And, uh, and so I was tempted in that moment. I caught myself ready to just explode and just like slam doors. And then as my son was stomping up the stairs, I wanted to be like, you want to hear stomping? <laughs> but I didn't, <laughs> praise God, because I was tempted to pause my faith. You and I, we're tempted when circumstances come our way to pause our faith. May it not be. I needed to repause and to reflect because my issue when I want to pause my faith is that I am reactionary. Is that, is that you? Like, do you want to pause your faith sometimes because you're just so reactionary? Something happens and you want to react, you want to react, you want to react? That's me. I'm with you. And so perhaps before we have Thanksgiving meals with people that are going to bring certain reactions out of us, perhaps this Thanksgiving season, we simply need to pause and reflect. Let God have the last word. Maybe in pausing and reflecting, we need to say, God, all glory, all control is yours. God, I want to be consistent in all areas of my life. So what would it look like if you paused and let God have the last word. Let's sing. Thank you so much for watching. If this was your first time with us, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you call Wellspring Church home, different ways to give are listed in the video description below. And please subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, and this YouTube channel to be kept up in all the newest content from Wellspring Church.